You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Hello, welcome back to a new episode of Between You and Me, the podcast where we talk to musicians about the things that hurt, heal and change us. We tackle faith, we tackle mental health, we tackle the taboo topics that make people really uncomfortable, but which we're all feeling. I am here with you for yet another episode, 25 in fact. I can't believe we're doing this still, it's awesome. And my name is Jessica Morris. I am a host, I'm a journalist. Consider me your new friend if you would like friends. If you're an introvert who likes your own space, welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting. I'm really excited for today's episode. Thank you for hanging in there a day late. I know we would normally drop on a Friday, but unfortunately, Australia's flu season got the best of me this week. So you are getting an episode now. Thank you for your patience. Before we dive into today's episode and we have a chat to an amazing musician, I just felt like it was important we talk about the news. Now, I'm not going to throw facts and figures at you. We all have Facebook and we all have the news and we have all heard and seen about the terrible things that have happened in America this week. And I know there are things happening around the world that don't necessarily get the same coverage. But I just wanted to give space for what has happened this week, to give space to the beautiful people that we lost in El Paso and in Dayton and to remember the beautiful children who are wondering where their parents are right now across the US. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm Australian. I don't get a say in America's politics as much as I am invested in this country and and I love the people there. But it is not fair or right or humane for me to keep going and put something together like this that's creative and meant to be life-giving without addressing the fact that there is terrible tragedy happening in the world right now. And I know it's not possible to address every sad thing that happens, but this week has been brutal. So if you have been impacted by it, if you know people who have, I would ask you to please reach out for help. I wish I had better words to say in situations like this, but to my friends whose hearts are hurting this week, not just in America but across the world, please know that my heart is hurting with you and we see you. I wanted to tell you guys something that was really exciting for me, not in spite of everything that is going on, because we could never minimize it. But a lot of you who have listened to this podcast for a while know I started Between You and Me to try and untangle some of my own disillusionment around the church and Christianity after I moved back from Nashville and I moved to Australia. And I found for me that in the last 12 months, one of the biggest struggles I have with the institution of the church, not with people in particular, but with the institution, is finding a place to belong when I disagree with people politically. It felt like something that I couldn't reconcile in myself and I didn't know if I should reconcile it in myself. I don't have a hard and fast answer for that, especially after this week. But the most beautiful thing happened where... Some friends of mine who are leaders in a church who I really respect reached out to myself and someone else that I love and asked if we would speak to them about Australia's position on immigration and on asylum seekers. Like I've said, I'm not trying to make a political statement, so I won't tell you what we talked about as such, but I wanted to share that with you guys because I got that message and I had that conversation with those church leaders And it reminded me that people care in church walls. There are always people who feel uncomfortable as well. And there are people who want to make a difference. I'm not excusing behaviour when people don't act. 
There's no excuse for any of our behaviour when none of us act. But this week, I found God in the walls of the church again. And I think that's something that a lot of you guys also need along with me. So I want to share that piece of hope with you. A little bit lighter, there really is no easy way to, to step out of that topic. But we do have some exciting news in the world of Between You and Me, guys. We have merch. Yes, that is correct. If we were any cooler, Justin Bieber would be wearing our T-shirts. Look, that's highly unlikely. It's not baggy enough. But we have merch, guys. Ah, I'm so excited. Right now, just type in betweenyouandmepod.com. Hit the shop button and you will be taken to a glorious store filled with teas and mugs and all sorts of merch that will please your heart. I promise. There's some really funny 80s, 90s throwbacks on there as well as just some logo merch. It's a great start. It makes a fun gift. And honestly, I'm just stoked. If you go there now, you can actually get 35% off without any code. So that lasts for three days from when this pod drops on August 10. So make sure that you go and head there now. That's enough talking. It's time to get to our interview. The interview that you guys have waited a whole two weeks and one day for. Oh my gosh, how have you lasted? But you have. You're so resilient. Here we go. Guys, today we are speaking with musician Ross King. Ross is a mainstay in the Christian music industry. You may never have heard of him, but there is a good chance that if you own a CCM record from like the last 10 years, he probably has a songwriting credit on it. Ross started in 95 and when he moved to Nashville in 2012, he started getting cuts. So he's been also working as an independent artist since then. Now, I was approached by Ross and his team because he dropped a single earlier this year called Things I'm Afraid Of. His publicist told me that he wanted to talk about depression and anxiety. And I was like, hello, I'm here for that. What else do I talk about but depression, anxiety and mental health? So naturally, Ross and I hit it off straight away. And he was really awesome. The really interesting thing about his song is that He actually talks about discussing taboos like mental health and using words explicitly like medication and counselling in the quote-unquote Christian music scene. We all know that the Christian music scene is quite clean-cut. It's very slick. It has to sell. It has to be very digestible. Ross talks about that and talks about the fact that part of his career is writing those songs and then he writes these sort of songs for himself and performs these songs for his friends and his fans. So if you've never heard of Ross King, you're welcome. This guy's an absolute legend. We dive straight into mental health and we talk about CCM and we go into some pretty pretty important stuff about pain and suffering and finding God in that as well. I can't wait for you to meet my new friend. And a heads up to our friends listening on See Me World Radio, you are hearing an edited version of this special created for radio. So if you would like to hear the full podcast and the full interview, just head to betweenyouandmepod.com or search Between You and Me Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. In the meantime, here's a quick bio about Ross King, a rundown of all his albums and everything he's achieved. He is far too humble, so I'm going to fill in the gaps for him. And then we will get right into our interview with Ross King, where he talks about his new single, Things I'm Afraid Of. What are you afraid of? The world ending, the death of a loved one, a financial crisis, Musician Ross King decided to confront his fears head-on in his new single, Things I'm Afraid Of. And no, this isn't a by-and-by recount of everyday stress, something that we all have. No, Ross has lived with depression and anxiety, and since the death of his father, he spent years circling around the themes of mental illness in his songs. In 2019, he decided to tell the whole story and open up about counselling, medication, and what it means to have a diagnosis. Now here's the deal, you've probably never heard of Ross King before, but I bet you've heard some of his music. Since he became a full-time working musician in 1995, his songs have been cut over 150 times. That's right, 150. His name is in the notes of some of your favourite albums. Think the Newsboys, Jason Gray, Jordan Feliz, JJ Heller, Micah Tyler. Basically the list is endless and while Ross's greatest acclaim comes from artist versions of his songs, he's been penning original music much longer. 
Ross began his career in Texas as a student at A&M University. Leading worship every Tuesday for five years at Breakaway, he led 7,000 students in weekly attendance, cutting his teeth and learning the art of leading worship to a vast group of people. Between planting a church and touring the country as a musician, Ross has managed to release 14 albums and two EPs. He made a name for himself with 1995's Something by Sunrise, and in the years that followed we would see him develop his sound and songwriting chops, covering church choruses, scripture, and beginning to pen some of the songs that would later appear on CDs by some of our favourite artists. After 2009's Words That Rhyme With Orange and a Christmas album, he was finally noticed by Centricity Music and signed on as a songwriter for their tally of artists. His songs have appeared in advertising, film and TV. Piling in cuts by some of the biggest names in the Christian music industry, he continued to pursue his own music career, releasing 2013's This Hope Will Guide Me, 2015's Unfettered and 2017's We Know How This Thing Ends. We saw Ross dive deeper into his more vulnerable places, singing a company with Jason Gray, as well as completing duets with Stacey King and Carlton. But it is his latest song, Things That I'm Afraid Of, that has really seen him make his mark in the area of being honest in Christian music. Talking openly about trauma and grief, what it means to lose life and the dream you once hoped for, and what it actually means to live with anxiety and depression. Ross is unrelentingly honest. Very, very quirky and very talented. This is Ross King. We will start at the beginning with your single, Things I'm Afraid Of. Yes. Tell me, a very basic question, what inspired the song? Well, all right, so I had been writing about this kind of thing for about six years. In, in 2012, I had this weird thing that happened where my dad was fishing down at the coast uh, in Texas and he drowned and it was really, really abrupt. And, you know, I try not to be, I try not to tie my depression to grief because I know those aren't the same things. But for me, the loss of my dad and kind of the, um, what I like to call the, the death of the life I thought I was going to have, um, those things triggered me and kind of pushed me, uh, you know, I think I'd been coping and just making it work. And suddenly I couldn't make it work. And so I just got really depressed and felt like I couldn't function as myself and went through all the, all the stuff um, that I think is pretty common medication and counseling and all those things. And so I started to write about it in my songs, just as a, almost as therapy. Right. And, and I'd, I'd always been kind of a, um, a left of center songwriter in that i I do write for other artists and write like kind of CCM stuff, but, but my own artistry was kind of a place where I could scratch this other itch, you know? So, so I just, I just leaned in and started writing about my depression. Uh, but I coded it, you know, like, like code words. I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really say depression ever. I would say grief or shame, or I would describe something heavy of, you know, heavy feeling uh, or fear. I would use all these words that were, that were true, but maybe weren't as on the nose or as clinical sounding. You know, and I don't know if that was out of my fear or just a, a trained songwriter knows better than to say these kind of weird words, right? So I, um, I but I would share those songs in concert or, or, or online or something. And I would, then I would tell the whole story, right? I would suddenly say, this is about my depression. And people would come up to me after or, or maybe comment online and say, I'm interested in that. Right. And so I started realizing I'm not really talking about this as openly and people are ready and I'm ready. And there's a whole other thing here where I could tell you that I think pop music is really getting honest about mental health. And so that kind of got me inspired. I was hearing all these other like mainstream pop artists talking about it. And I thought, okay, the world is ready for this. Maybe the church is too. And so I just uh, started thinking about how I could write it, write something really, really, really honest using all the words. And my goal was like, I'm going to use all the words, you know, depression, anxiety, medication, counseling, all those words are going to be in here. And I'm going to tell the story of, of how that slams into the gospel, you know? Um, and so that, that's kind of what it was. It was me. And, and I, and then I, I was in the midst of studying Psalm 23. And so it's kind of, I tell people the song is uh, emotional health meets uh, Jesus by way of Psalm 23, sort of. Yeah. 
I love that. Um, I was listening to the song this morning and aside from being a great song, as I was listening to the lyrics, I was actually, it hit so close to home, not just because I have mental health diagnosis too, but because the words of Psalm 23 have been a promise that God has said to me over and over in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And it was actually really one of those like really cool and wow, what just happened moments when it came together in your song with the real life experiences. And you talked about the fact that even when you have all these things, the fear is still there and the depression is still there, but so is God. And I love that because you don't, people don't carry that tension or we don't hear it expressed very often. Yes. No. And that's, that's the struggle is, you know, I've, I've said that, um, there's a few different ways that I think people deal with uh, feeling broken and, and through through music. One of those ways is to lament, which is not a bad thing, but it basically just means to speak about it and, and be honest about the sadness and the heaviness. But there isn't always uh, any hope in that. And then, and then maybe a second way would be what, what the world does, which is like kind of the fight song way, which is telling people you're brave, you're strong, you can beat it which sounds good at first, but then when you don't feel strong or brave, it, it, you, you start thinking, why am I the only one who this song doesn't, doesn't apply to, right? And, and then the third way, I think, is the way that I'm trying to do it, which is to acknowledge um, how bad it is and then say, but God's, but just don't quit, right? Because um, the gospel is real and it may not completely heal you immediately from this thing, but it's real and God's not, he's not quitting and you shouldn't quit. Um, and so that, that's, that felt like a more honest way to do it. You know, I, I remember I, I wrote, um, when my, when my sons turned 10, I wrote him this little thing and I said, the world is just as scary as you think it is, but, uh, God can make you braver than that. Right. And, and, and that kind of tension is like really important to me, you know, to say, no, no, it's really bad out there. You know, it's really bad. No one should lie to you about that. And God's, God's still doing something. Um, and so just don't quit on him. You know, and so that, for me, that was really important to, to deliver both of those sides of that, of that story. When I am shaking and my heart's pounding, you always take me, make me lie down in. Peaceful fields where I can clear my head Cause I get so overcome with anxiety Like there's an enemy living inside of me Like a mocker yelling out, telling lies to me And I don't feel brave, but I don't have to be Cause I walk through the valley of shadows And it scared me half to death But you're with me everywhere I go so I don't give up yet My fear would surely kill me If I didn't know the truth The things that I'm afraid of I'm afraid of you This actually wasn't a planned question, but because you're so open, oh, I wanted good. to ask, you talk a little bit about counselling. <laughs> you talk a little bit about counselling yeah. in your song. Can you tell mm-hmm. me um, about, and I asked this to someone who has been to it, ton of counseling as well um can you tell me when that started for you and why counseling has been so important for your mental health journey knowing that maybe there'll be people listening who classically the church hasn't really been pro counselor right. more just talk to your pastor type stuff right right and and let me say and i'm sure you you would you would agree talking to your pastor is a good start you know talking oh, to anyone, great start. talking to anyone is a good start and and I would even be that person who who would say, I don't have hard opinions about whether it should be not a Christian counselor or a Christian counselor. I think I think I think people swing really hard on those things. Like, I want a real therapist who's not a Christian, and other people say I only want a Christian. I don't know that I have strong opinions about that. I, uh, you know, I, but I, but I would say that that for me, what happened was about ten or twelve years ago, I was in a car accident. It was really crazy. I won't go into it, but I. But a 15-year-old girl ran out in front of my car, oh, and, I, and, and I hit her going 50 miles an hour. And nearly, you know, I thought I killed her. And long story, and I ended up getting sued, going to court, all this stuff. But, but I was, 
pretty traumatized by that. And I kind of couldn't, you know, drive very well for a while. So that was like my first counseling. And Mm -hmm. it was essential to me just getting, getting back to, to being me. Now in that time, I don't think I would have identified depression or any of those things. And the counselor didn't, but, but I, but I felt like I needed someone to talk to, to, to get through that. And so that was a long, that was a good while ago. And so when I felt depressed again, um, or, you know, I didn't know what it was. I, I'd had ADD my whole life kind of, and sort of thought it was almost like a tool I used to be more creative, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of worked f- for me. And this, this stuff kind of like spiked it to where I was suddenly like forgetting everything and really just being a bad uh, human, you know, like I wasn't doing my responsibilities, you know, and I got, I have four children and, and, uh, and a wife and a life. And, you know, at the time I was on pastoral staff at a, at a really honest church. Um, and so I just needed, I needed help. And our church, one of our elders was a Harvard trained psychologist who gave Ted talks, you know? So like we were very awesome. Yeah. We were very like, um, savvy in the, you know, and he would preach and, and bring in, you know, psychological clinical kind of language and concepts kind of tie them into the gospel and that's what, so I was, I was already pretty comfortable with the idea. Um, and, and, and so that, you know, so for me, it was just a natural thing. And, and, and my wife who is awesome would say to me, you know, you don't seem whole. Are you, did you try to wean off your pills again? Or did you try, are you not going to, you know, she was always pushing me in the best way to say, it's okay to go do this. You, you need this, you know, and she needed it too. She was very close to my dad. And so she was, you know, we were in a kind of crucible time of life. We have four kids. Like I said, they're, they're adopted and there's some, there's some specific needs that kind of go with, with our, our adoption kids stories. So she had plenty of stuff to deal with too. And here her husband's kind of going crazy, you know, so, so we were both doing it, you know? And um, so all that to say, I, I, I don't know that I can tell you exactly how it happened as much as for me, I didn't know how to do it unless I talked to someone. And for what, for whatever reason, the church has taught particularly men, but I'm sure also, also women that we're not supposed that we're supposed to internalize this stuff, pray about it, read some Bible verses and get better. And I don't say that dismissively, like reading Bible verses and praying doesn't matter because it does. And a big portion of my song is, is me using the Bible to explain how I got through or how I'm getting through this. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing that or, or, or minimizing it, but I am saying it's kind of, as you said, taboo, or you said that er- earlier, you know, for us to say, I need to talk to someone about a really honest thing. Please someone help me. You know, that, that's just not, uh, I don't know. It's like the church is getting better at having programs that do it, but in the actual church, it's not, it's not being done. And so uh, for me, it, it was just a, it was, it just made sense. I didn't know how to get through it if I didn't. When my depression is affecting every ounce of me, I can get the medication and the counseling. Still, I can hear the fear calling out to me. And I don't feel brave, but I don't have to be. Cause I walk through the valley of shadows and it scared me half to death. But you're with me everywhere I go. So I don't give up yet. My fear would surely kill me if I didn't know the truth. The things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you. You prepared a table for me right in front of my worst enemies. How has a diagnosis of depression and anxiety and then, like, the fact that this is also parallel to the fact that you're grieving your dad how has that shaped your relationship with God and really challenged it? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like I don't remember who I was before, right? I'm sure you identify with that. Um, but I, you know, I said this thing earlier and I'll say it again, cause it's a really important concept for my journey. And that's that I think the church and I, I, mean, I say the church, I just mean kind of the global, you know, the global, the, the local, whatever. I think that, I think the church is really good at, helping us grieve things that have an obvious kind of grief exercise tied to them. So someone dies, we know how to bring casseroles and have, you know, give cards and have funerals and do that. And if someone get gets a, a, a 
divorce. I think we're even getting better at that. You know, that took us a while, but we're getting better at that in, in some circles. Um, we, we learned, we've learned how to do this, right? Ex- but, but one thing that we don't know how to deal with is something that, that is kind of internal. And that's what, what, what I call uh, the death of the life we thought we would have, you know? And so what, what happens is, well, it came to me because my wife, probably a year after my dad died, one day said to me, I'm not sure you've really grieved your father yet. You're just grieving the life that is gone that you thought you'd have. And she wasn't saying I was being selfish. She was saying, you're, you're adjusting to the new normal. And it's so sad for you that you're not having the, the normal you thought that you were going to have. You're not even taking time to just sort of love and grieve your dad. Right. And so that really mm-hmm. set me um, onto a new path of being deliberate about talking to God about that that I was disappointed. I mean, disappointment is such a, a small word most of the time, but it really means a lot. Disappointment can ruin us. It can really, really ruin us. And um, I was so disappointed that my life wasn't going the way that I thought it would because my dad wasn't there to be whatever part of that life that, that I wanted him to be. And I, and I get that this probably sounds selfish and I'm risking that, but I'm just telling you that the truth that that's part of this is that whether you're on the way to a fun meeting and you, and you get stopped by the police and have to have a ticket or whether someone dies, you have these moments in your life where something happens that, that changes what you thought was going to be. And you have to learn to adjust mm-hmm. to that, right? And I don't, I'm not saying that, that ticket thing to say something small. But I'm just saying that all, all of our life is, oh, I thought it was going to be this and now it's going to be this. That happens every day. Right. And sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. And I've just learned to go to the Lord with my disappointment um, and just say, I'm so disappointed. Will you please uh, remind me that you have a plan, that you're for me, that you're good, that you're sovereign, whatever the words are that that sort of go with your with your way of um, speaking to the Lord. But for me, it was just God. Can you remind me that that I'm yours and that I'm your kid and that. I matter to you and that you're going to stay with me, you know, and, and I didn't do that. I didn't do that just through private prayer. I did it through deep community. Um, I did it through uh, art. You know, I, I, I created as a way to cope. And like, and like we've said, I did it through counseling and all the other stuff. But for me, it was all one big piece. You know, I wasn't, there wasn't a bunch of little silos that I, that I went to. It was one big, huge piece of, I was fortunate, like I said, to have a counselor that went to my church and wasn't weird about that. And a lot of, a lot of counselors are, are hesitant to see you if you go to church with them, but these guys were great. Two different guys that I went to church with that were great. Um, but yeah, I just started going to God with disappointment. And, and I think I talked to God about disappointment so much more than I ever did. Um, and not to say like, you know, God, why'd you ruin my life? But just to be more honest about, you know, I really wanted this, right? I told you I really wanted this and it didn't happen. And I'm really, really sad. And just please give me the grace to not quit because I'm so disappointed. Um, and I think we should we just have to learn to be better at that, you know, at, at just to telling God how, how sad you are and how disappointed that you are uh, when, when the life you wanted kind of dies, which may happen multiple times in our lives, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hear that. I so hear that. Um, and for, for what it's worth with your disclaimer before, you said it might sound selfish, it didn't at all to me. Uh, even though I've got a complete, completely different life journey, obviously, to yours, I understand that. I, I yeah. felt the same way in different circumstances. Um, well, is it okay for I, me to ask you a question? Yeah, of course. Okay? So yeah. how, how would you have answered that? Like, you know, the oh, diagnosis, what did, it, what did that do for your because I'm interested because you know, here I'm able to say, oh, I wrote songs and now listen to this cool song. But yeah. I want to know, like, what did you do? Um, I feel like I there'd be like numerous answers to that question depending on my age because I was, so I'm 29 now. I was diagnosed when I was 14. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I was really fortunate that I had parents who are actually counsellors and identified that I was having problems and put me into counselling and got medication very quickly. So I was straight in to the whole, let's talk mental health, whatever conversation. (laughs) That's great. I was very fortunate. I think initially the answer would have been that 
my coping mechanism or my reason for survival was God. It was all I had and all I knew. Um, and to some extent, it's still that. I think that's on the really bad days, you go back to that and you go, no, this is why I have a purpose. This is why I'm right. here. I think how I express that has changed over the years. It was always through writing. Um, so I used to, I'm not a great musician by any means, but I used to write poetry and lyrics in my journals and that sort of paved the way to me going into journalism. Um, and then, yeah, it, now it really looks like me trying to lean into this subject in my work life. It's, yeah. it's trying to talk about the tough things that either I'm wrestling with or that other people are wrestling with and really trying to give, I suppose, give a space for that to actually be acknowledged. conversation to talk about one of our amazing sponsors do you create wedding videos podcasts ads content maybe even one of those slideshows while you're trying to move your church into the 21st century well soundstripe is the answer to all your problems the ultimate music stock site made for video producers they offer a great variety of high quality royalty free songs and have an unlimited licensing model this is literally one of a kind in the industry and that is because it was created by musicians. With a monthly or yearly fee, you have unlimited access to world-class music. We are talking composers like Aaron Sprinkle and Matt Winton. Every time you license a song through Soundstripe, the royalty goes straight back to the musician. With curated playlist, new music every week, and more than 30,000 special effects, this is the ultimate source of music for creatives. Trust me, I've been using this since day one with Between You and Me. And I can tell you that any background music you are hearing comes directly from Soundstripe. They are absolutely incredible. When you sign up for Soundstripe today, you can get 10% off using the code UMEPOD. That is soundstripe.com with the code UMEPOD. And now back to the show. I was just going to say that, that you know, what's what's I think the mistake that we can make and what's great about you, what's great about you doing a podcast that is, you know, directed at Christians and even at Christian artists about this is I think we can kind of compartmentalize this stuff and say, well, an emotional health or mental health conversation is not a spiritual conversation or, or if it is, it just, you know, you're kind of tacking it on or one of those things takes precedent, you know, and, and, and I, I have, man, I look at the Bible so much differently now and I would never try to like, diagnose any of the characters in the Bible. Cause I'm not, I'm not a mental health pro professional or nor am I a, 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 a theologian, but, but I, but I, one thing for me that like um, has happened is I've, I've really read Bible stories differently since I have gone through this, you know, and one of my favorite, um, one of the most comforting things in, in the Bible is, you know, when, when I was a kid, the big joke was, um, I was raised in the church, and the big joke was if someone asked you to, to recite a Bible verse, everyone would say Jesus wept, right? Because it's, yes. it's these two words, right? So you can kind of be the little smart-mouthed kid who, who, who says a two-word two, two verse. Um, but here's the thing about, the, about that passage is that passage, that's in John uh, 11, and it's, it's this crazy story that, you know, is too long to tell here, but, you know, Lazarus is Mary and Martha's br brother, and Jesus is really close to these to these folks, and they they send a word that Lazarus is really sick, and there's a whole crazy thing where it says Jesus loved them a lot, and Lazarus is really sick, and so he waited, which is a weird. Why does it say so? Right? Why doesn't it say but? But anyway, so he waited. So that's a whole other thing that I won't get into. But that's crazy. And then he shows up, and Martha's super mad at him, and she runs out to meet him, and, and she's like, "Look." 
essentially she says, I know what you can do. Not everyone knows what you can do. I know what you can do. And you, you didn't do it. You, 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 you could have been here. And he says something about the resurrection. And I think she thinks he's being like doctrinal. And she's like, oh, I know about the resurrection. And he's like, no, no, I don't mean that. And he doesn't say, hold my beer, but, you know, <laughs> but, but, he, could kinda, but he could have said that. And then how about this? He goes to the grave and he cries. Now, it's so weird, right? Because, I mean, if he's going to raise him up like a minute later, he's going to raise him up. There's nothing to be sad about unless Jesus knows, just like you, you, you and me know, that death sucks anyway. It just mm-hmm. is awful. Death is awful. And even for a moment, even for a day, however long this guy's dead, Jesus is like, that's the worst. Death is so awful. I hate it. I came here to beat it. Right? And so he cries. And you and me have both mm-hmm. been, been in situations where someone comes to us and says, it's going to get better. And they're not being mean. They're not being insensitive. They're, they're trying to help. But you and I both are like, I know that. Please leave me alone. I'm currently mm-hmm. wanting to be in this place or need to be or, or, or whatever. And that's in that moment, I see Jesus doing that for us. Him, him saying, I get it. It's going to get better, right? And it's really awful that my friend died. And I let it happen. I actually let it happen because I wanted to do this awesome miracle, but even letting it happen made me sad, right? And I'm just, I'm going to stand here for like a minute and give this what it's due. When something yes. bad happens, it's okay for us to feel miserable, you know? And this whole idea of like, oh, this person died, let's celebrate their life. Let's, no one should cry. That's crazy. No, that's, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. death is awful. And little death, little kinds of not real death, little kinds of deaths in our lives, those things happen and they are awful and it's difficult and you lose a job, you someone rejects you, you feel disappointed because of a, some kind of failure in your career or in a relationship. Those are little deaths and it's, it is right and good for us to cry and grieve and feel down. And that's not the same as, 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 as depression, but it's related, right? How, how we emotionally yeah. cope. And I just, I am so thrilled that the God I follow, the God I worship was compassionate enough. And then the writers of the Bible or whatever were smart enough to put this story in there where Jesus irrationally, honestly, cries in this moment. It just makes no sense, right? He, he was going to bring him back. It only makes sense if he knows even more than me and you know that death is awful. And that hard things deserve grief. And that's like the best news I could ever, ever hear, right? I mean, yeah. it's like not even the most important part of that passage, right? The, the, the next part's the, the, the big part. He's going to bring him back, you know? But this little tiny little two-word two verse that, that the smart mouth kids in Sunday school, uh, they, they like to say to prove that they know a Bible verse, that's packed full of this great, great, great truth that gives comfort to me when I, when I don't know why I can't quit crying or I can't quit being sad. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that. I've never yeah. thought of it like that before, mm. but it's so good. And it's something that I'm still learning to do. Something right. I'm still learning to hold the pain there, still go. It's okay to have that and st- still be close to God. If sadness was a sin, Jesus never would have cried. That's exactly what he did when his good friend Lazarus died. And he knew that he could raise him up. Still the Lord was sad enough to grieve. If heartache was a crime, consider Jesus in the garden. When he knew it was his time and there was no better option. And he had to take that cup and it stressed him out so much. It made him bleed If you've ever been so overwhelmed That you can barely breathe My friend You're in good company Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more broadly about your music career because I was looking at your bio and what you've done and you've done some incredible things. I know that you were saying that you have a small audience. You've done amazing, amazing things. You've written some amazing songs and, um, and you kickstarted three albums. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me your story about how you got into music and the Christian music industry in particular? Sure. So I mentioned that, that I'm pretty old. So uh, I started this thing in the 90s, the late 90s, and I was a, I was a part of, and you know, the Christian music business was so different then. It was a lot more kind of bible and a lot more kind of compartmentalized. And um, anyway, so I, I was writing songs as a college kid and worship was kind of getting cool. And it wasn't really cool before that. You know, it, it, the, the world we know now with Bethel and Hill songs and elevation, all that. It's, it wasn't like that. It was worship was a very uh, hippie kind of a, a, a niche, you know. And so I was getting into some of that and writing songs, and and there was not really even any independent music. This is pre-internet. I mean, it's that kind of thing, right? And so anyway, I just I was started leading worship at a Bible study that was at the college that I was at, and it was running about a thousand people on a Tuesday night. And by the time I left it five years later, it was running seven thousand people every Tuesday at a big basketball gym. So that really, you know, jump started my, my worship stuff. And at mm-hmm. the same time I was writing singer songwriter stuff, trying to be Rich Mullins, you know, that kind of thing. But realizing that I really wasn't a performer and I wasn't a great, like, uh, I just wasn't a great guy on stage. I was just okay at that. I wanted to craft music. I wanted to write songs. Right. And, and so I just kind of, after a lot of rejection as an artist, um, I started thinking, okay, I'm going to focus more on songs and on the crowd that I have. I have, I was making records and, you know, people were buying them, but it, but it was basically just like enough to support me, you know? And so anyway, just fast forward, I just kept doing like an indie music thing for a long time. And I started making some money with like CCLI through like songwriting, worship songs and stuff. But I was pretty much living in Texas doing an indie worship, indie worship and songwriter thing. And so about 10 years ago, I was at a conference for like independent musicians. I was doing some kind of like low level film and TV stuff, like writing like music for B, B level discovery channel show type stuff, just random stuff, just making a living as a musician. I was producing records and all kinds of stuff, just all indie stuff. And I met this woman who had been at word as a publisher and she just kind of recognized me from some music she'd heard of mine. And we started talking and she said, Hey, I'm consulting people now in the CCM music business. Would you want to try it? And I was like, you know what? I've gone out there. I've gone to Nashville. I, I, they don't want me. I've been rejected so many times in that world. You know, what I do is way too folk or way too, I don't know, awkward or honest. And, and to be totally honest with you, Jessica, I don't know how good I was early on. So some of it is me wanting to say, they don't get me. I'm, I'm too odd, but I think some of it was, I wasn't that good for, for a lot of that time. So, but I was getting better. And so this woman, her name was Cindy. She started consulting me and I started coming out to Nashville about 10 times a year to write. And about a year into that, I just started getting cuts. Um, nothing crazy, but I got enough cuts that publishers started asking, you know, and so I signed a publishing deal in 2012. And that's, you know, that's part of the weird story is that, uh, let's see, April. So February, 2012, I turned 40. April, 2012, I signed up my first ever quote, big Nashville publishing deal. May of 2012, May 2012, my dad drowns. And July of 2012, I was basically broke. And I said, something has to change. And so I just started, you know, that's when I started leaning harder into talking about my depression and, and looking at Nashville as more of a life for me. So so anyway, fast forward to now, I basically, well, the Kickstarter thing is interesting. I, I, you know, I realized early on in the crowdfunding thing that I had a very loyal fan base who wanted what I did. They, they weren't very big, but they were loyal. And my first Kickstarter, I think I asked for maybe like six or $7,000, which isn't that much money, but I made it in 22 hours. That's and, cool. Yeah, it was crazy. And so I didn't expect that. So then I did another one two years later and, and it did great. And then I did another one two years after that and it funded 150% of what I wanted. And, you know, I could go into a whole thing about how I should have been smarter with all those Kickstarter campaigns and, and done some kind of more long, long view stuff, but I'm very much an ADD right brained, just kind of spaz. And so I just, I just would fund those records and then just kind of move on, you know, yeah, I and that. What's happening now and what's interesting about this stuff I'm doing now with, 
with this song and with some of this new music is I'm looking at more like, hey, do I need to be doing more deliberate talk about these things that are working f- for me and this niche that seems like it's right right for me, which is I'm now the guy who talks about the weird, difficult things and tries to make a pop song to wrap it up, you know, <laughs> and and writing in the CCM industry has has helped with that because, like you said, I've written a bunch of songs for other people, and and those songs had to be like, you know, more kind of edited and more sort of slick and catchy, and so I've learned those skills at some level, and um, yeah. So, what's the difference between writing a song for yourself, knowing that you're going to perform it and it's going to be yours as an artist, and writing a song? for another artist whether it's a friend a client whatever is there a difference in how you express yourself and the music you put together yeah there's like a grand canyon of difference um (laughs) i mean you have situations like when i'm writing for someone like jason gray with jason gray he's a very like he's pretty close to what i do so he and i can get pretty uh, it can be pretty free um but most of the time i'm really editing myself and i don't mind that because i actually think you know, that there's room in the kingdom for all those expressions, right? I mean, I don't love all the CCM that's out there and I'm sure you don't eat either, but, but I also don't disparage it. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with writing encouraging music that's easy to, to, to digest. And in fact, it's really harder to be honest, to write CCM hits than it is to write, you know, left of center indie pop. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you don't have to please anybody when you're writing that indie pop, you just please you yeah. and whoever fans you have. But for me, you know, it's funny because I, I actually have a, have an album from about three years ago called Unfettered. And I called it that because people would ask me this question you, you just asked. And I found myself mm-hmm. answering, well, when I write for myself, I write totally unfettered. I just write what I want to write, you know. And it's not as simple as that. But I think when I'm writing for other artists, I'm thinking about their voice, thinking about what what I may have heard from their label about what they're looking for. I'm thinking about what's working on the radio, you know, that kind of thing. And for me, when I'm writing for me, I'm, I'm really just thinking about what God's doing in me that seems like it's worth saying, right? I mean, I'm not just totally soul vomiting on everybody, but I am definitely saying, what's God doing in me? Seems like my, my group of fans responds when I talk about what my unique perspective on the world. Um, so for me, it's mostly about stuff like language. It's probably not really about melodies all that much. It's more about mm-hmm. language. I mean, the kind of words that you can use, like like we've talked about with the, saying these words, like medication and, 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 yeah. and counseling. And, and I also find that the lyric that I love for my album is usually the lyric that I, I get edited, that would get edited out on the CCM thing. And that's unfortunate because I think a lot of CCM uh, label people will will tell you they want you to bring something fresh and weird, and I, I think I think they mean it, but I don't think they really are allowed to mean it <laughs> or oh, something. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, that's definitely I, the vibe. Cause, yeah, because I found that when I, when I bring a song and it does get edited, it always it's those things that I thought were the most cool and the most provocative and the most kind of soul stirring or or head scratching lines are the ones that tend to get you know smoothed out uh or or red inked right so so yeah so the difference is i would say for me is mostly words um and and freedom <laughs> that sounds bad <laughs> no but it's I'm okay freer. one two three four i have heard some people say hope has died, we have lost our way. And I admit, things look bad, we're all broken, can't do nothing about that. But I see some evidence that goes against our common sense, I know that hope is still alive and well. That come at the end of the storm And enemies lay down their weapons of war So I know there's more Cause I see orphans are finding their forever homes And rich men are giving up all that they owe 
music for other people and it becomes a hit, they generally get the accolades for it because their name's attached to it. And it's only people who are really into music or who are part of the industry that got to sort of go, oh, like Ross wrote that. I'm so happy for you and may actually like congratulate you on it. Um, That's what I'm imagining happens only because until I started this, like music journalism seriously, I didn't realise how many people were behind the scenes. And I was like, I love that song. And that artist literally only sang it. And that's all they did. Um, So how do you hold success and recognition for your art, which you put a lot of work into, um, how do you hold that and balance that when you're not necessarily noticed for your craft? And that's not a question that where I'm trying to line you up to make you sound at all like like you're trying to get attention. It's more of a no. how do you actually cope with that? Because for me I really feel like it would be me releasing a book that I was really proud of and giving someone else a byline. It's like how do you make that happen? Yeah, I mean, let me let me first be super frank with you and 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 fair that I haven't written that many like hits. Like I've written a lot of I've had a ton of cuts, but I don't have like a bunch of like breakout radio smashes. So I haven't dealt with anything that would be like, the closest thing to that was I wrote a song years ago called Clear the Stage. And it's kind of this sort of underground viral thing that a guy named Jimmy Needham did a, a few years ago. I heard that, yes. Yeah, and and it's like his biggest song. And so he almost, he you should ask him this question because he, he has struggled with, and he's told me, you know, my biggest song is something I didn't write, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but your version got like so many more views and listens than mine did. But I would say this, that I have plenty of, if you want to dig deep, I have plenty of places where I want to be noticed and loved and appreciated. But I really actually love the idea that I created something or helped create something or whatever. And it's so good. Someone else who maybe didn't create it or was only a small part of creating it uh, loves it so much that they that, that they want to sing it. Like, and that, and, and I don't really, um, I don't like performing all that much and I don't like, uh, I'm an introvert. So whatever version of it would involve me getting that, that credit would also involve a bunch of social awkwardness. Oh, yes. You know, and so I'm like, this is a perfect for me. I can create something and I can get old and fat and uncool and this really hip, cool young person who, you know, works out and is beautiful can go do it in front of people. And I get to stay at home with my wife and my children and watch Netflix or whatever. You know, that's that that that's a dream yeah. for me. I got I have yeah. plenty of ways that I am shallow and vain and 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 need need people to to pat me on the back. But in this area, I actually love the idea that I would write something and it goes farther than I have to take it. Right. Because, um, you know, uh, Jason Gray, again, is a guy that I would mention because I've written a lot with a lot with Jason. He travels, I don't know, 100 and something days a year all over the world. And he's exhausted. You know, I mean, good Mm -hmm. for him. You know, I I love that guy. And I'm so proud to be a part of whatever he whatever he does. But I don't want his job. You know, I mean, I would rather write write songs with him and say. You know, good for you. Go, you know, go have fun. So I, I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, there are other ways. I, I think I, if you if you want to get into my kitchen of what of what I struggle with, it's probably more like respect. I just occasionally wish I was sure. probably known more in 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 the in the inside baseball part of this life. You know, I I wish I was wish I had more success as as a writer. To be honest with you, um, I'm, but I don't really care that much about if people know that I wrote the song. Yeah, I, I like getting paid I, for it. <laughs> I can appreciate that. It's nice to get paid for doing what you love, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I feel yeah. that. Thank you for being honest with me. I really sure. appreciate it. Sure. And that's I've a great never, question. I mean, I've never actually had the chance to speak to someone who whose focus is predominantly um or a lot of a lot of their income is predominantly on writing for other musicians. Um right. so I was just super curious because I don't know how I would cope with that. So I really right. appreciate your answer. Well, and I would say that 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 you know, back to your to your metaphor uh, with a book is it's I don't think that's a fair met- metaphor because that's like someone saying that they wrote it. You know, it's almost like if you wrote a book that no one read and they made they made a movie 
out of it, right? To me, yeah. that's a better me- metaphor. And everyone's like, man, that movie had such a great plot. The dialogue was awesome. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I wrote that whole scene in the book. And they use it in, in, in the movie and the screenplay guy gets gets credit or whatever, you know, but you'd still feel really cool that your book was was a movie and yeah. it's now being taken somewhere that you could never have taken it, right? Um, that's yeah. kind of how, how how it feels. Because I'm like, oh man, this is so cool. This, you know, I, I wrote a song years ago that, that that Newsboys did. And those people go everywhere. They go all over the world. You know, I'm like, oh, this yeah. is so cool. So cool. And I'm not even like a crazy, like, fan of that kind of music, but I'm like, I'm a fan of them. They're amazing. You know, they've had this longstanding career and Michael Tate and all that. And I was like, this is awesome. I'd feel so honored that, you know, that the, that the newsboys want to do my song, you know? I mean, so to me, it's like Christmas every time somebody cuts my song. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few then have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social Then seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that greed is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And don't get me wrong Worship is more than a song. I I want people to know that I do this because I think um, we need alternatives to what's happening on the Christian radio, and I'm not famous enough or or rich enough to to to, to for them to know about me, you know. And so I'd love to, for them to go check out what I, what I do through all the ways they can they can do that. Um, and I'd want people to know that. If you are depressed or have anxiety or don't know what you have, please tell someone, you know, and not to be too like hotline-ish, but goodness gracious, go tell someone and, and don't, and if someone comes and talks to you, don't let them leave until you figure out how to help them, you know, say, Hey, spend the night. Hey, I'm going to be here. You know, uh, one of my favorite things about 12 step programs is that, uh, they're not always great at giving answers or being super like concrete. And some people don't, they don't, they don't like that. But what I love is that they, they basically, their philosophy is, Oh, you don't feel whole. Okay. Well, we're going to be here all week, you know, uh, just come anytime. And I think Christians would rather, we'd rather give somebody a, a plan um, that would make, would maybe dismiss them from our midst so we can get back to, to, to our lives, which I understand why we do that. I mean, I do that. But I but I would just say if someone comes to you with a real problem, uh, don't 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 let them leave till they till they feel loved and heard, um, yeah. you know, and don't let them quit. Something I do at the end of every interview is ask a few quick questions that some of your say a random on the street, some of your loyal fans, if they saw you, may ask you this after a show. Um, they don't always have a place, but I'm just curious. Um, of all the songs that you have written and had recorded by other artists, is there a favorite or a standout track? Um, gosh, probably, I mean, Clear the Stage, the Jimmy Needham thing has, has gotten me the most, uh, fans and like attention. Um, so that's been pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Um, I would say that in terms of not, not that kind of thing, it's probably stuff that's more like random. Like um, I uh, wrote a song with um, Johnny Diaz, you know, he did that, he did that oh, yes. song and the yeah. song is called define me. And it's, it, it was basically like a flop for him, which I hate, but it's a song where he came to me and said, I want to write about the devil and what he's really up to. And I don't know if anyone's going to like it, but I want to do it. And he, when, he, when he does it live, it just like goes bonkers. But radio just kind of, you know, obviously you can imagine a song, a song about about the devil didn't do that well. 
but I love yeah. that song and I'm super proud that I was a part of that because he, he really, really pushed, pushed the boundaries of what could be done and discovered that his actual fans loved that, you know, whether or not it was successful in the radio world, his, his fans were, were really, really impacted by it. So that was, that, that's, that's the cool. highlight for me. Yeah. Nice. If you could write a song for anyone or have any of your songs cut by another artist, who would it be and why? Ooh, um, gosh, I am a big, big fan in CCM of 10th Avenue North. I think oh, what, yes. they do is, what they do is actually really, really um, real and beautiful and artistically viable and also deeply spiritual. So that would be, that would be, a, that would be a real, a real thrill to have a cut from those guys. Um, and then just on like a, anybody in the world, I mean, yeah. I get into I get into some weird stuff like John Bellion. I don't know if you know John Bellion, but um, he's a he's a guy that is kind of a underground guy that people know in the music business. But just just go look him up. There's a song called "Stupid Deep." That's a deeply deeply spiritual song that will just blow your mind. Um, and then even something like kind of getting old school. Like I would love, I'd be thrilled if like um, like Billy Joel you know, that kind of stuff, you know, old school stuff like that, um, which is what I, what I kind of go to. Uh, and I even like a lot of pop stuff right now too. So I might even tell you that I would love it if, you know, Selena Gomez, (laughs) I mean, I just, I I I just, I just love stuff like that. So, and she's one of those people who's talking about emotional health in her songs. So I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Excellent answers, though. I love that. So good. I would be here for any of those collaborations and I'd be like, I know that guy. That's awesome. Thank Um, you. Last question that I have for you. If you could go back to back in time to speak to yourself when you were just starting out in the music industry, you were trying to make it in Nashville, um, you just sort of started leading worship and you had all these big dreams and plans, what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now? Oh, wow. Um, I would probably say something like whatever you have in your heart that is kind of an if only phrase, like if only this would, 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 would happen, uh, that thing is a lie. Or it's at the very least, it's, it's shadows and smoke. You know, it's, it's there, but it's not as solid as you want it to be, right? So I know I just had a bunch of if I get a publishing deal, if I get a cut, if I get on the radio, if I, you, you know, um, and all those things are good and they're, they're reasons to be grateful. Um, but I can't, it wouldn't be fair to, to his story for me to tell it, but I, I had a situation with one of my sons about three or four m- months ago that was an emotional health type of situation. And when I was dealing with that, there wasn't a single career thing that I could have that, that felt like it would have mitigated that or made it better. Right. I mean, when you feel like your life is falling apart, there's not a single accolade or achievement that somehow counterbalances that. Nothing, right? And so mm-hmm. I would tell myself, don't wait on some if only. You know what I mean? Don't don't have some list of things that are gonna make your life better. Um and I might have told myself not to ever get not to ever get get an iPhone. <laughs> yes. With the day of my trial would come Like an earthquake in my belief And the doubts I could not outrun Brought me to my knees And I thought I was done And I almost gave up But you kept me from going down Now I can't shake this truth After all I've been through somehow Oh, I believe in you more now That was Ross King. How cool is he? I'm so glad that we crossed paths. He's so honest, like so unrelentingly honest. He shared things that he doesn't have to and most of us would be too embarrassed or ashamed to say even though we're thinking it. And I love that. That's what makes a conversation and healing conversation. If you would like to connect with Ross, please do. You can find him on Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube at Ross King Music. 
His new single, Things That I'm Afraid Of, is out now. You can get it on iTunes or any streaming platform you like. You will find a link to all these things in our show notes below, as well as a link to his latest EP, which dropped in 2017. We had a few songs featured from the EP on this episode, especially He Is Not Safe, which is track number two, and Good Company, which featured Jason Gray, if you'd like to get your hands on them. So definitely hit the link below as well for that. If you heard Ross's story today and you thought, oh my gosh, I'm not alone, I'm right there with you. And I would love for you to speak to someone and to ask for help and support because you deserve that. So if you don't have anyone in your immediate vicinity who you really trust, you can reach out to, you can call Australia's Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can call Lifeline in America on 1-800-273-TALK. By all means, if you have a church pastor that you really trust, go to them or go to a counsellor as well. You can also visit our friends at To Write Love in Her Arms. They are at twaloha.com, E-W-L-O-H-A.com, and they have a Find Help page that covers international. And if you're in America, they actually have some location-specific resources and counsellors if you'd like to find them. A reminder before we wrap up today that we have merch. Yes, we do. I know I said it. I'm just so excited. Just head to betweenyouandmepod.com and hit the shop button. 35% off for three days. Please go and subscribe. We love new friends and followers and it makes it so much easier for people to find us. So just go to iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcast episodes, hit subscribe and go give us a rating. You can find us online at Between You Me Pod. We are extractive on Instagram. We are also on Facebook and you can find us everywhere just by searching betweenyouandmepod.com. Find all the links there as well as show notes. That's it for today. I'm so happy that we can do these hard things together and I'm so glad that there is hope on the horizon. I will see you in two weeks, friends. Connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to JesusWire.com.